Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Visual Politics Podcast. In this one, this is an audio version of the video that originally went out on our YouTube channel back in July of 2019. It was titled, Why Are Indian Muslims Scared of Sacred Cows? Uh, it's an interesting one, definitely worth a listen. I do hope you enjoy it. As always, I'm going to jump in uh, and explain any charts or do any of that stuff as necessary throughout this episode. Let's get into it. The Country of Yoga The country of Gandhi and non-violence. The country where you travel to grow spiritually. It is the very same country where the far right wing has won the elections again. If you think ultranationalism is a Western thing, you should better think again. Believe me, by the end of this video, Donald Trump is going to look like a liberal hippie to you. India is the world's biggest democracy. Yep, you heard that right. In this past election, more than 600 million people cast their votes. This is twice as much as the entire population of the United States. Nevertheless, I bet you couldn't even name their prime minister. Oh yes, it doesn't matter if India is the second most populated country on the planet or the world's largest democracy. The media just couldn't care less about this country. And this is why here at Visual Politic, we're obliged to tell you about this man that you see on the screen right now. Narendra Modi. This man has just been re-elected as the Indian Prime Minister. Many of you might think that looking this peaceful, being vegetarian and practicing yoga, that Modi would be a spiritual politician who loves peace and human rights. Right? Well, actually, no, the opposite is true. Next to Narendra Modi, Donald Trump looks like Bono from U2. Have you ever heard about India's sacred cows? Well, yes, they are real, and believe me when I say that this is much more than just a funny thing from Hinduism. The Cowbells is a group of Indian states where religion plays a major role in society. Within these regions, we have the cow vigilantes. Theoretically, the cow vigilantes' role is to protect these animals, but in many cases, they formed into violent tribes that attack minorities, mainly Muslims. According to a Human Rights Watch report, in the last five years, they have killed more than 44 people just because they were eating beef. In other words, you can find fanatics in any religion, including Hinduism. But if India is the world's largest democracy, their elections are also the world's longest. In most democratic countries, voting lasts for one or two days. In India, it takes seven weeks. Well, why? Because every state holds elections on different days. And remember, we're talking about 900 million possible voters here. Along with long elections, the campaign has also been a hell of a show, from the tension with Pakistan to a Bollywood movie. Yes, you had that right. If spots weren't enough, Narendra Modi made his own Bollywood biopic. From the Indian Express. Minister Narendra Modi movie review, an unabashed hagiography. With such a huge electoral campaign, Modi has been re-elected in a landslide victory. Basically, his party has 65% of the seats in the parliament. This is similar to the majority that Putin in Russia has or Orban has in Hungary. And the opposition parties in India are too small to effectively block his policies. So today's question is, why has India decided to give even more support to the far right? Can we really say that this country is radicalizing? And what kind of consequences will this have for the rest of the world? Well, today we're going to answer all of these questions, but before we do, let's take a look back 
at the history. Mahatma Gandhi is more than the founding father of modern-day India. He is a universal icon. His goal was that once India became independent, both Hindus and Muslims could coexist peacefully. Although India is a Hindu-majority country, they also have a Muslim minority. Well, it's not even fair to say that it's a minority, really, because we're talking about more than 200 million people who believe in Muhammad's teachings. That said, both Gandhi and Modi were born in the same state, and this is where the similarities between these two end. Modi was born into a humble family, and since he was as a child, he was fascinated by politics. So, where did he go? He went to the Association of National Volunteers, also known as the Shang family. This is a radical Hindu organization with a clear target in mind. Muslims are the enemy. To give you a better understanding, the man who shot Gandhi was affiliated with this organization. And yes, he killed Gandhi because Gandhi had the goal of making Hindus and Muslims coexist peacefully. So, the Shang family formed the basis of Narendra Modi's political party, the Bharatiya Janata Party, also known as the BJP. As you can imagine, the ideology of this party is not exactly centrist. Nevertheless, it soon became one of the biggest political groups in all of India. Here is where Modi kickstarted his political career. In 2001, he became the chief minister of the state of Gujarat. And this this is how his legend started. Basically, Modi combines the BJP's radical narrative with a taste for pragmatic economics. On the radical side, he even lost the visa to travel to America or the European Union. The reason was that he allowed Hindu radicals to basically oppress Muslims. In 2002, Hindu radicals killed more than a thousand Muslims. Modi's administration was accused of handing the radicals a list of all the properties owned by Muslims. On the other hand, Modi had his bright side in economics. He privatized several state-owned enterprises, he created industrial parks, and removed a lot of red tape, which is a persistent problem across all of India. In very few years, Gujarat was growing at a 10% rate year after year. Everybody saw Modi as a model for the rest of the country. So what was the next step then? Well, of course, that would be ruling the entire country. In 2014, Modi became India's Prime Minister. His program included ending a lot of bureaucracy, modernizing country, and improving the country's relationship with America. Don't forget that India used to be blacklisted by the White House because of their nuclear program. So Modi, he actually did a great job of getting close to Washington. Yep, you heard that right. He went from not having a visa to entering the states and becoming Obama's personal friend. Don't believe me? Well, just check this out. From the Deccan Herald. Obama writes profile for Modi in Time's most influential list. Yes, you heard that right. Barack Obama himself became besties with Modi despite them having opposing ideologies. And you might wonder, how is this even possible? Basically, everybody was expecting India's economy to boom just like China's had. And Modi seemed like the man for the job. Alright, alright, so you might not be the biggest human rights fan, but this is international politics and we've seen worse. But now the question is, did Modi really pull India out of poverty? What has he done during his time in office. Well, let's have a look, shall we? The Hindu Trump. Imagine if I said Gandhi's assassin was a patriot. You might think that this isn't the best thing to say during an electoral campaign in India. But this is what Pragya Thakur said before the elections. Pragya Thakur is a politician from the BJP. And yes, she has won the elections in her district just like Modi did. And if this isn't brutal enough for you, just look at this quote from Amit Shah, the chairman of the party. 
from Reuters. Amit Shah vows to throw illegal immigrants into the Bay of Bengal. I did tell you at the end of this video, you'd think that Donald Trump was a Hollywood liberal. And just wait, because you haven't seen anything yet. Now you might be wondering, well, how is it possible that with such a radical agenda, Modi and his party had a landslide victory? Well, the answer lies in one word, economics. In this regard, Modi reminds us of Erdogan, the Turkish president. Both are religious extremists, both had good relationships with America, and both bragged about economics at some point. Under Modi's government, the Indian economy kept growing at a 7% rate. His administration managed to balance the accounts by creating new taxes like VAT. And this man has crafted himself an image of a humble, hard-working, and business-friendly politician. But as we said before, the radical influence has been present during his entire administration. Basically, he's given the Shang family the keys to the government. Today, the group controls the police, the army, and the courts. That's not all. They control the biggest private school in the country. This means that five million children are educated every day alongside their extremist principles. And if the Shang family isn't radical enough for you, there are other organizations that make headlines like this one. From the Deccan Chronicle. Bajrang Dal activists beat up Muslim boy for going shopping with Hindu girl. As you can see, the advance of Hindu radicalism is becoming more and more worrying. And I say Hindu radicalism because Modi's core ideology goes way beyond simple nationalism. For example, his government has offered Indian nationality to a lot of immigrants from Bangladesh, Afghanistan, or even Pakistan. They just have to meet one condition, not being Muslim. So yes, BJP's radicalism is a religious one. They want India to just have Hinduism, Buddhism, or other small local religions. And you might wonder, so, well, what's wrong with that? It's their country, and those are their religions, right? Well, in that case, do remember that India still has more than 200 million Muslims. They represent 14% of the entire population, and believe me, their lives are not easy. Why? Well, let's go back to those sacred cows, shall we? Before Modi became Prime Minister, cows were sacred until the moment they weren't productive anymore. Then authorities let them get slaughtered so their meat could be eaten. Usually, those slaughterhouses were owned by Muslims, and Muslims were the ones who ate the beef too. Under the BJP's rule, many states have banned beef consumption, and the government has spent almost $90 million building cow shelters known as gashalas. Inside of these shelters, cows are protected under Hindu religious principles, and they promote vegetarianism. Of course, all these measures are a direct attack on the Muslim community. Many Muslim families lived off the production of cow meat, and now they've lost their livelihoods. But to most of the radical groups, this is just not enough. So in today's India, it's easy to find news like this. From Bloomberg. Cow vigilantes in India killed at least 44 people, report finds. About 280 people injured in more than 100 attacks over three years. I told you before, you can find fanatics in any religion. Alright, so you might be wondering now, what about the economics? Can we really say Modi was successful in this regard? The truth is also pretty disappointing. So let's have a look. January the 30th is the school day of non-violence and peace in observance of the day Gandhi was assassinated. At this moment in the video, you already know that Gandhi and Modi couldn't be more different. If Gandhi was a peace icon, Modi is a total pyromaniac. While it's true that India is still growing, we shouldn't give credit to Modi for this. In fact, India started growing decades ago, and its population is growing too. 
What isn't growing is the job market, specifically employment for youths. Young unemployment is at a record high, and Modi's promise to create 10 million jobs is still just a promise. Also, farmers are angry. Modi increased food imports to make prices cheaper. This is great for the cities, but it's not great for the countryside. Even if this liberalization was good in the long term, it made Modi lose a lot of votes in rural areas. And the same goes for his fight against the shadow economy. This is perhaps his biggest failure. Overnight, government retired 80% of Indian currency from circulation. They wanted to force everyone to use credit cards and bank transfers instead of cash. This way, they couldn't evade taxes. Not everyone has a bank account in India, and financial institutions, they were not well prepared for this. So all of a sudden, you had hundreds of people going to the bank offices, trying to open an account, and the bankers didn't even know what to do. And who suffered the most? Well, of course, it was the poorest people. Those who had small businesses, like a hair salon, a street fruit shop, or other small business, had lots of trouble making ends meet. This explains why, at the beginning of 2019, polls looked really bad for Modi. Of course, he would still win the elections, but he would lose the absolute majority and he would have to form coalitions with other parties. So what does an extremist politician do when he wants to rise in the polls? Well, the same thing Erdogan did. The same old protectionism. From the New York Times. India curbs power of Amazon and Walmart to sell products online. But as we said before, Modi is a total pyromaniac and he knows how to create smokescreens. This is why, in order to raise national pride, tensions with Pakistan, their die-hard enemy, are well, a great thing. Under Modi, India performed their first airstrike against Pakistan territory in 40 years. This was their response to the Kashmir terrorist attack. Fortunately, this conflict hasn't become a nuclear war, but it has been a great help for Modi in the elections. As we said in 2009, polls said Modi wouldn't have the absolute majority. Now, six months after that, Modi has had a huge victory. Remember the figure, that party has 65% of seats in parliament. But now the question goes to you. Do you think Modi is playing with fire using this ultra-nationalist strategy? Can Modi get India out of poverty? Is Gandhi's legacy lost in this country? So I really hope you enjoyed that episode of the podcast. As always, please do head over to iTunes, or I should say Apple Podcasts, they've renamed it, or wherever you get your podcasts, and leave us a review. That would be great. You can say hi to me on Twitter. I'm at Simon Whistler. All of that good stuff, and I'll be back real soon with another episode.